Matthew 27, verse 32 to 54. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting by lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by him um, derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, um, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him, saying the same. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the lands, until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Elam, Sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing this said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tomb um, also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tomb after his resurrection... They were into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him kept watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Thanks, Izzy. Uh, You will find, if you'd like to take notes, there's a place on the back of the handout that you would have seen coming in. Um, And I encourage you to have your Bibles open. We're going to work through this passage and see what it says about Jesus' death for us. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this part of your word. Thank you for today, where we remember Jesus' death for us. Please give us understanding and please work through your word to grow us in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt like God has abandoned you? Like he's given up on you or forgotten you? 
like he's forsaken you. Maybe you felt it in a moment of deep suffering, in sickness or in grief or in loss, in the fog of depression or crippling anxiety, in seeing those you love suffering. In the midst of your pain, you wondered if God had forsaken you. Maybe you felt it in a moment of overwhelming guilt When you did something that you knew was wrong and you instantly regretted it, surely this is too much. Will God abandon me now? Has he forsaken me? Maybe it wasn't a huge thing. Maybe it was just failing the same way yet again. And you've wondered whether you've used up his patience. Is that the last time? Has he forsaken you now? Have you ever looked at someone else and thought the same thing? Maybe for the same reasons. They're suffering something terrible again or they've really messed up again. Maybe God has given up on them, abandoned them, forsaken them. It's a terrible thought. If it's about us, it can lead to deep despair. If it's about others, it can be a harsh judgment. Maybe you've never thought about others like that, but... 2,000 years ago, on that first Easter, as Jesus is crucified on that rough Roman cross, that's exactly what everyone is thinking. And not just thinking, but saying. Jesus, the great teacher and miracle worker, has been forsaken by God. God has abandoned him. God is judging him. Is that what Easter is all about? Are they right? Does the cross show that Jesus is forsaken by God? Let's have a look together. At first, all the evidence seems to be pointing in that direction. Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, he's written this eyewitness account of what happened that first Easter. Let's have a look closely at what he says. Before the verses that Izzy just read for us, Matthew told us about how Jesus was arrested by the religious leaders in the Garden of Gethsemane. They put him on trial. They made up some charges and they decided to put him to death. They beat him and mocked him. And then they handed him over to Pilate, the Roman governor, to have him killed. Pilate tried to release Jesus, but God's people chose a robber and a murderer to be released instead. So Pilate decides to put Jesus to death to appease the people. He has Jesus brutally scourged, which is flogged with a multi-tailed whip with pieces of metal and bone on the ends. And then they lead him off to be executed. By the time Jesus gets to the city gates, he's so exhausted they need to rope someone else in to carry his cross. You see, Jesus isn't dying in some ordinary way. He's being crucified. It was the meanest, most drawn out, most humiliating way the Romans could come up with to kill someone. It was reserved for the lowest of the low. It was painful. You would have your hands and feet nailed to a cross and you would slowly suffocate. Death could take days. 
It was humiliating. You, you would be stripped naked and exposed to the elements and displayed for everyone to watch as you died. And it was considered cursed. The Old Testament says that anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. And that's how the Jews understood it when someone was crucified. They're cursed by God. Abandoned. Judged. Forsaken. Jesus is led out of the city to be executed in this most shameful, most painful, most cursed way. The soldiers keep mocking him, verse 34. They offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. This wasn't a kindness. The soldiers gave Jesus poisoned wine, deliberately made bitter and terrible. They gamble for his clothes. After all, he won't be needing them anymore. They hang a sign above his head, verse 37. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. See, the Romans, they're rubbing it into the Jews. This man is supposed to be your king, the promised king that God would send to save you. But we've killed him. Here he is, suffering and dying, a cursed Death. It seems like Jesus is nothing more than a criminal, crucified between two common criminals. And that's how the people passing by take it too. If he's really God's son, he should be able to save himself. But the fact that he's stuck on a cross shows that he isn't. God has forsaken him. See what they say in verse 39. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. All the religious leaders of God's people take it the same way. He healed people, he saved others, but he can't save himself. If he really was the King of Israel, he should come down from the cross. And they have the nerve to say, and then we'd believe in him. But God has abandoned him. He's forsaken, they say. Verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. God doesn't want him anymore, they say. He's forsaken. Even the other criminals crucified next to Jesus joined in the mocking. And if that's not enough, even nature seems to join in. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. The whole land of Israel is dark for three whole hours in the middle of the day. This isn't an eclipse. It's not heavy cloud cover. This is a sign of judgment. The Old Testament prophets predicted a day of God's judgment, a day of darkness. And here it is. Even nature says Jesus is under God's judgment. And if all of that is not enough, listen to Jesus' own words. Verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It looks like everyone is right. It looks like Jesus is cursed by God, abandoned, forsaken. All is lost. 
Jesus cries out in a loud voice. He breathes his last breath and he dies. He dies the death of a criminal, a cursed man, abandoned, alone, forsaken by God. And I thought this was supposed to be good Friday. How is that good? Well, actually, there's more here than meets the eye. More going on than what we see at first glance. See, Jesus isn't just forsaken. He's forsaken for us. We see the first clues as Jesus dies. Verse 51. Behold, the temple of the curtain, the curtain of the temple, was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split A great earthquake, another sign of God's judgment, a sign of the last day when God's promises will be fulfilled. And something amazing happens at the temple. The curtain of the temple is torn in two. The temple was a place where God dwelled with his people, but it also kept the people separate from God. You see, God is perfectly holy. There's nothing evil in him. He is perfectly good. But we're not. We fall short of this all the time. We do things that we know that we shouldn't do. We don't do the good things that we know we should do. We reject God's commands and rule over our lives as creator and we live our own way. And the Bible calls these things sin. But sinful people like us can't be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. For our sin, we rightly deserve his judgment. We cannot come near him safely. And so the temple is where God can dwell with his people, but the people are kept separate from God. And the most powerful picture of this is the curtain, a thick curtain that separated the holy place where the priests would minister from the most holy place where God dwelt. And only one person, the high priest, could go in that most holy place and only once a year covered by a sacrifice. But as Jesus dies, this curtain is torn in two. It was said to be as thick as the width of your hand. No human being could have torn it. No natural earthquake could tear it. And it was torn in two from the top to the bottom. See, God tore the curtain. There is more that is going on in Jesus' death. Through his death on the cross, our sin is dealt with and the way is open for us to come to God, to come right into the most holy place where God is. See, the curtain, it reveals what's really going on on the cross. Yes, Jesus is under God's judgment, but not because of what he has done, because of what we have done. Yes, Jesus is under a curse, but not for his own sin, for our sin. Yes, in that moment, as he endures the judgment of God for the sin of the world, he is forsaken by God, but not because God rejects him, because all of all that we have done that God can rightly reject us for. Through Jesus' death, the way is open for us to come to God without fear of judgment without fear that we will be forsaken. It gets even better. One of the great consequences of sin is death. It's been that way from the beginning. But because Jesus' death deals with our sin, it also deals with death. 
As Jesus dies and rises again that first Easter, death starts working backwards. It's an appetizer, a hint of what's to come when Jesus comes back to set all things right. See it in verse 52. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Jesus' death deals with the problem of death, sin. And Jesus' resurrection means that death is defeated and eternal life is on offer for all those who trust in him. And it's in light of this that all of those other details start to make sense. Everything that before seemed to point to Jesus being forsaken by God showed that he is actually forsaken for us. He dies that painful, humiliating, cursed death on the cross to take our curse, our punishment, our shame on himself. He is mocked with bitter poison wine just like David, the great king of God's people who has given poison food and sour wine for his thirst in Psalm 69. This mocking Roman sign, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, was actually right. But not as a king who is conquered and shamed, a king who willingly suffers the cross to save his people. A king who is doing battle with sin and death itself and will win. Jesus is crucified between two criminals, not because he is a criminal, but because he identifies with sinners and takes our sin on himself. The passers-by, remember they mocked him as the one who said he would destroy and rebuild the temple. And yet through Jesus' death, he's abolishing the old way of coming to God and he's making a new way. A way to come to God with confidence, with free access, not through a physical building and through a curtain, but through him. They cried out, save yourself if you are the son of God. And yet by willingly going to the cross, by refusing to use his power to save himself, he is acting as the obedient son, obeying the Father, working together with the Father on their great plan of salvation that is accomplished through his death. He did not save himself from the cross because he was saving us. The leaders of God's people say that if Jesus trusts God, God will save him. Exactly the same way they mocked King David in Psalm 22. And yet that's exactly what happens. Jesus trusts himself to the Father. He willingly goes to his death and he's raised. On the third day he's vindicated, delivered from death because he has conquered death. The darkness over the land is a picture of God's judgment on Jesus because of our sin. And Jesus' cry to God really is a cry that he has been forsaken. He is enduring the separation from the Father that our sins rightly deserve. But it's also a confident cry. See, those words that Jesus says, Jesus is quoting the first line of Psalm 22. A psalm that begins with being forsaken by God, but ends with confident hope that God will deliver him. Jesus truly was forsaken by God for us, but 
but he endured it trusting that God would rescue him. It looked like Jesus was forsaken by God, but the truth is far greater. He was willingly forsaken for us. Forsaken so that we can come to God with confidence. One person there at the cross sees that there's more going on here than meets the eye. It's not God's people. It's not the religious bigwigs. It's not even Jesus' disciples. Verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. It's the Roman soldier overseeing the execution. A Gentile, not part of God's people. He sees what happens and he gets it. Truly this was the Son of God. This is a hint of what's about to happen in Matthew. The good news of Jesus and death and resurrection. It's not just good news for Israel. It's going to spread to the ends of the earth. It's good news for the whole world. And the centurion's words here are also an invitation. An invitation for people like us. People who are a long way from Israel. Maybe who feel far off from God. An invitation for us, for you, to see Jesus, the Son of God. And to go beyond the centurion's words, to trust in Jesus and find in him the only way to come to God with confidence. And we truly can come to God with confidence because of Jesus. If you feel abandoned by God in your suffering, see Jesus suffering for you on the cross. He never needed to know suffering. And yet he willingly entered into our suffering. He took it on himself. He endured the shame and the horror of the cross for you. He knows your suffering. And he invites you to come to him with confidence. If you feel like God should have given up on you because of what you've done. See Jesus taking the full penalty of all your sin on the cross he endured the judgment so you don't have to he suffered the separation from God so that you can come through the torn curtain into God's very presence no matter what you've done no matter your secret sins no matter your fears see Jesus suffering for you and come with confidence there is no condemnation for those who trust in Jesus if you feel forsaken by God, know that Jesus spoke those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that no one who trusts in him should ever have to say them. He was forsaken so that I don't have to be. So that you don't have to be. Because he paid the penalty for my sin, if I trust in him, I can be confident to come to God boldly. If we trust in Jesus, God will never cast us out. This truly is Good Friday. Not because Jesus was forsaken by God, 
but because he was forsaken for us. Will you come to him with confidence this Good Friday? Will you trust in him to find forgiveness, to find rest, to find eternal life? Come to God with confidence through Jesus, forsaken for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that Jesus endured your judgment that we rightfully deserve so that we can come to you with confidence. We can come to you knowing that you will never cast us out, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he has paid it all. For those here this morning who don't yet trust in you, Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and their hearts to grant them faith in Jesus. For all of us, we ask that you would help us to see more clearly what Jesus has done, to come to you with confidence and to rejoice in the fact that because Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? We never have to. Please stir our hearts with these things this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.